And as you're going right now, you can grab a permission slip from the information counter. If you have kids junior high all the way through high school, you should be on the big chill. And I think the deadline is coming up uh, Friday this week. 14th. So if you want to get signed up, this is the week to do it. Um, and I always feel like I need one disclaimer to avoid some emails. Jay-Z is really not going to be there. I don't need to. We shouldn't have Jay-Z at the big chill. <laughs> Maybe he is going to be there, and I don't know. But I'm assuming that was satire, but we'll see. Hey, good morning. Happy New Year. It's great to see all you guys back here. It's great to uh, uh, be back. And uh, I hope that God is, is already doing some amazing things in the new year. Uh, for you. Uh, a while back, we decided that this Sunday, January 11th, that we were going to uh, talk through the mission statement at Grace, that we were going to use it as kind of a, a vision Sunday, if you will. And then uh, Bryce came last week, and if, if you were here, uh, when, when Bryce was getting ready to, to, to teach, he asked me, well, what should I teach? And I said, well, you can teach whatever God puts on your heart. It's kind of an open Sunday. We have sometimes Sundays that are one-off, not part of a series. Um, so he decided what he was going to teach, and if you were here, you, you would know that he teached through a lot of our mission statement. He talked a lot about uh, who we are as a church, and at first I thought, oh, I should probably do something different this Sunday, um, but I started to think about it, and I think what God has done is kind of showed us in his sovereignty that uh, these first three weeks of January are really going to just be a mini-series, if you will, on vision. So uh, I'm still going to talk about the mission statement, but it really fits in a lot to what Bryce had to say last week. So if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to get that CD and listen in. It, it, they really tie together uh, um, quite well. But the, uh, uh, the, the essence that we want you to get here as we launch the new year and as we move into uh, a church without curtains is that God's really up to something. And uh, it's, it's something good. And it's been pretty exciting to be a part of it. And we want to just talk about what God is doing uniquely through us as a church and, and kind of hopefully help get you excited for the new year. So if you're, if you're new at Grace, it's great. You get a chance to hear some things that you've never heard before. But if you've been here for a long time, hopefully it just serves as a reminder as to who we are and what God is doing here. So our mission statement, we, we say it quite often, um, not every Sunday, but almost. We are... A mosaic, right? You know what it sounds like to me up here every, every time we do that? It sounds like this. It sounds like, we are Jesus. <laughs> like, we all know the end anyway. But that's good. It all centers around Jesus. But we are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. But the question we want to get to and, and, and help understand is, is, where did this mission statement come from? Where, where, did, it, where did it come to be? And, and what does it really mean? And in early 2012, the the, the, the leadership at Grace really set out on a journey, a journey that took over 14 months, as a matter of fact, of, of deciding, well, what is our mission? What's our vision? What's our strategy? What are our values? Um, there were lots of conversations, some of the conversations actually pretty intense as we thought about this and as we tried to put words to what we knew God was up to. But we spent time asking the question, you know, what makes Grace Community Church, what makes this church unique? Uh, what would the community, I love this question, we thought about this one a lot, what would, what would this community miss if grace no longer existed? If we were to be pulled out and, and grace was no longer here, what would be missing from this particular community? What's the good work that God prepared in advance for this particular church on this particular corner to do? And we talked about how does our over 100 years of history affect who we are and where we're going? 
And the truth is, the process that we went through was pretty powerful. It was, a, it was a great experience. And I think part of the reason was it made us stop and recognize all that God is doing. It made us sort of just pay attention to the good work that God is up to. So the mission statement came out of those meetings and hours of conversation, some of them pretty heated. And what I want you to know is that, that every word was very carefully chosen. Every word in our mission statement was talked through and, and debated, and, and is there a better word? And we used the sources, and we brought all kinds of, of thoughts to the process, but every word came with great care. And what I want you also to know is that the mission statement at Grace, we are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus, isn't the same as the vision. The mission statement is more uh, qualitative, while the vision is more quantitative. Does that make sense? So if we were going to give you the vision of grace, it's where we want to be two years from now or three years from now, we'd use numbers and we'd use uh, a kind of more of a picture of what you see. This is more what we want the church to be like, what we want the, the fabric of the church or the, 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 the ambience of the church to be like, for lack of a better word. So it's not the vision, it's the mission of the church. The mission statement of grace starts with the word we. And to be perfectly honest with you, this is probably one of the most important words in the entire mission statement. We are a mosaic. And the reason we is so important is because the mission statement is for all of us. It includes us as pastors or as the staff. It includes the elders. It includes every volunteer at Grace. It includes the people who have been here for a few weeks. And it includes the people who have been here for a few decades. The idea here is that this mission statement applies to every single one of us that call Grace our home church. We is all-inclusive, and it's important that we start with that, but we say we are a mosaic. And I think in some ways we've done a little bit of a disservice when it comes to the mosaic piece, because whenever we talk about the mosaic, we kind of just talk about the, the racial piece, or we talk about the economic piece, or we talk about the, the spiritual upbringing. We have this wide array of people who have all kinds of different spiritual backgrounds and, and have come to Christ in, in different ways from different places, and we love all that. And I think the reason we talk about it is because we are excited about it, and we love to see what God is doing even racially amongst us, and it's just those are exciting things. So we talk about the mosaic, we talk about that, but the mosaic is, is more than just that. There was this moment when we were doing all this good work of, of writing the mission statement when somebody, and I don't even remember who it was, I think it might have been Ed, but somebody brought the definition of a mosaic to the meeting. And when they read the definition, I remember being like so excited about the definition, but this is the definition. A mosaic is a small, sometimes broken pieces of various shapes and sizes and colors that come together to make a work of art. A mosaic are small, sometimes broken. I love that piece. Pieces of various shapes and sizes. And I, I actually asked people to give me a couple of mosaics and I was going to have them on the stage. But they were, like, when I brought them here and with all of this, you couldn't actually distinguish, like, where the mosaic was because the stage was so busy. So for those of you who loaned me your mosaics, thank you. Um, but it didn't really work and I'm sorry for that. But I love the... The picture, because of that, that picture of various sizes, various shapes, and I love the word broken in there. And if you ever looked at a beautiful mosaic, it's, it's amazing what the artists can do with those different shapes and sizes. A few weeks ago, I unpacked Ephesians 2.10. I don't know if you were here for that, but Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's workmanship. We talked about the fact that workmanship is, is a word poema, and poema actually is the word we get poem from. So in essence, we are God's work of art. We are God's poem. So we are, in fact, this work of art. The mosaic is more than just the fact that we're different. It's what we are when we all come together. So here's the deal. I'm a mess. 
I am an absolute, amen. <laughs> Gosh, I don't get one amen until I say I'm a mess. No, it's cool. That's, that's the reality of grace. I'm a mess, but that's what we want to celebrate. We are all just broken people in desperate need of Jesus. And when we recognize our desperate need for Jesus, then Jesus does something amazing in our lives and he redeems us, but he also calls us and he calls us to fit into this thing that's much bigger than just ourselves, this thing that we call a mosaic. I was talking about this with Karen Can and, and uh, I asked her to help me think through a way to kind of get the message across and she ended up sending me this video and I want you to watch the video because I just think it really exemplifies the mosaic. So let's watch this video. Isn't that amazing? So this is just a cup. It's just a simple cup, and they just put a little water in it, and they put some color into the water, and, and then they put all those together. And, you know, a cup is it's a good thing, right? It, it has purpose, and, and it's very useful, and you can use it. But there's, there's something more. What I really want you to hear when it comes to the mosaic is it's not just that we're different, but it's that when we come together in our difference, Something pretty amazing comes to be. There is this work of art. And we really can't discover what the picture is. We really can't discover who we're called to be as a church until we come together. All of our broken pieces, all of us fitting together to figure out exactly what it is that God is doing through us. And I love that imagery. It's so much more than just the fact that we're different. And I love the fact that we're different. But, but it's our difference when it comes together that really makes the work of art. 
And some of you might be saying to yourself, yeah, but is this idea of a mosaic, is it even biblical? Is it even in scripture? And I would say it is absolutely biblical. But, but if you look in the scriptures, instead of using the imagery of a mosaic, Paul uses the imagery of a human body. So let me read for you uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20. Paul writes these words. He says, just as a body, he's talking about a, a human body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we, we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. Even though you're different, you were baptized to be one body, he's saying. And, and if we were given one spirit, and we were given one spirit to drink, even so, the body is made up is made up of one part, is made up of many parts, I'm sorry. Verse 15 says, Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. Or if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. I want to read that one more time because I think that, that passage is so, um, so pertinent to what we're talking about. But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, there would be, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but there's only one body. So he's using the exact same imagery. He's just saying, look, a, a finger is, is a finger, and a, a, but a finger by itself really doesn't have much purpose. It's only when the finger is attached to the body that we really realize exactly what it's meant to do. All of the parts come together. What I love about the imagery of the mosaic is we can't really know who we are until we come together. We can't fully uh, express the image of God until we are together and all of the parts come together to do what they were called to do. These broken, broken, randomly colored pieces of glass find their fit and their purpose only when they are together. So our mission statement is we are mosaic striving. And here's the deal, striving continues to this day to be the most contentious word in our mission statement. It is debated, it is talked about, it is, we are asked regularly, why striving? Why did we use the word striving? I had a fascinating breakfast with uh, Tim Hogan from the Counseling Center, and probably four or five times he said, we got to be careful not to strive. We got to be careful not to strive. And there's this amazing uh, thing about the word striving. There is a uh, there is a way to, to strive well and there is a way to strive poorly. Striving can have a negative connotation and striving can have a positive connotation. And so we need to stop and we need to ask the, ourselves some questions about the word striving. But the word striving came from Colossians 1.29. Paul writes these words. He says, for this purpose also I labor. Because of all that Jesus did for me, he says I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within me. The word striving, the original word that's used there, is the word we get agonizing from. It actually could have translated that I agonize to do the work that God has called me to. I agonize according to the power. There's this, this picture. The word striving is usually used in, in reference to an athletic contest or even warf, warfare is like contending with an adversary. 
So there is this picture that, that we see throughout the scripture of, of, of striving, but we got to continue to unpack, well, what does it mean? And is it really part of, of what we should have in our mission statement? So what I want to do is I want to read some, some other uh, verses in the, in the New Testament that use the same word that was translated striving uh, in, the, in, the, in the Colossians passage. So in Luke 13, 24, Jesus, his very words say, make every effort to enter through the narrow grate. Excuse me. Make every effort to enter through the narrow gate. Make every effort is the exact same word translated as striving. So Jesus is actually saying striving to enter through the narrow gate. And what he's saying is, look, the, the, the path is narrow. The way to heaven is small. And you need to show up. You need to bring your, yourself to the game. And you need to, to, to understand that it's narrow. You need to make every effort. You need to strive to go through the narrow door. 1 Corinthians 9.25 says, Everyone who contends in the game, exercises self-control. Everyone who strives to be a part of the contest exercises self-control. So we see this, this burden of, of exercising, of, of, of agonizing, of striving to have self-control. Colossians 4.12 is talking about Epaphras, and it says, Epaphras always wrestles in prayer for you. Same exact word. Epaphras always strives in prayer, that he's intentional, that he's, he's wrestling in prayer for you. 1 Timothy 4.10 says, For this we labor and strive, that we put our hope in the living God. 2 Timothy 4.7, Paul writes, I have fought the good fight. The, word, the first word fought there, I have fought, is the same word. Strive. I have strived to fight the fight is a good way to say it. I have finished the race. So there's all this imagery in Scripture of of a battle, of an athletic contest, of having to, to show up, having to actually bring your, yourself to the, to the table. And, 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 and the reason we chose the word striving is because it makes us stop and think. Because the word striving makes us ask the question, what does it mean to strive biblically and what does it mean to strive the way the world strives? Because to strive biblically is going to reap all kinds of fruit in your life. But to strive in the way that the world strives is going to create all kinds of havoc. It's going to be detrimental. And so the word itself causes us to stop and ask some questions. So what's the key to striving biblically? Well, we go back to Colossians 1.29, which I already read. It says, for this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. The key is according to his power. According to his power, which mightily works within me. You cannot earn anything from God. You cannot work harder and hope that something good happens to you. You cannot do this on your own. And if you try to do it on your own, you will lie down in misery, the scriptures say. But at the same time, Second Peter says, you have everything you need for life and godliness. You have everything you need to be successful in your striving to live like Jesus. You can actually do this. So you have a heavenly father that loves you beyond your wildest imagination. You actually have the Holy Spirit that's given to you to empower you, to encourage you, to, to, to help you along the way, to, to make all that happen in your life. And then listen to this. You have Jesus in the scripture say he is actually praying for you. So you have all of that going for you so that when you strive to live like Jesus, you can actually be successful in that endeavor. And so we don't have to fight as if we're with, with no results. And, and so Paul talks about, well, I don't fight like a man boxing the air. I'm not wasting my time. I'm actually bearing fruit in my striving to live like Jesus. You can fight the good fight. You can finish the race 
but you can only do it according to the power of God that is at work within you by leaning into and understanding the Holy Spirit is doing something in my life. And so the question is, well, why did we use the word striving if it's so confusing? Why didn't we use the word serving? Well, because serving doesn't really get to it. Serving is a part of striving, but serving is an old thing. Or, or why didn't we use the word desiring? Well, the truth of the matter is just because you want it doesn't mean you're doing anything. You can desire something and never make any effort to make it happen. The truth is we debated. I'm telling you, this is the word that created the most conversation, but we never could find a better word. And it is a biblical word. And here's the deal. In our American Christianity, and, and that fits to all of us in this room, we have convinced ourselves that Christianity is some kind of consumeristic endeavor. That I'm going to come to church so I can get something. That it's all about showing up and, and receiving something. And, and we have this tendency to just sit back in our faith and, and, and we become very passive. But we are called to fight the good fight. We are called to run with intensity. We are, we are called to learn what it means to persevere in the faith. This is all over the scriptures. And so we got to figure out this, this balance of what it looks like to, to do both. What does it look like to meditate on the scriptures and still rely on the Holy Spirit that's at work within you? You and I have to learn how to strive, but then to strive according to the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work within us. Here's the tricky part. And, and Bryce did such a great job unpacking this last week. This isn't about just trying harder. And it isn't about doing more stuff. If I just do more, then, then my spiritual journey is going to come alive. If I just, I just got to do more, I just got to try harder. That's not what this is about. As a matter of fact, if you, if you really stop and you think about it, striving may be doing nothing. For you, striving may be sitting quietly for a half hour. And we would say, well, that doesn't feel like striving, but have you ever had said, try to sit quietly for a half hour? It might be the hardest thing you ever try to do, to sit quietly and allow the, the thoughts in your head to settle. It, it can be a very difficult thing. You know, taking a Sabbath is striving. I'm not very good at taking a Sabbath, but God would say, slow down. Why would you want to slow down? Because when I slow down, when I'm quiet, then I'm able to cooperate with the Holy Spirit that's at work within me. This idea of striving isn't about memorizing more verses, although you may find that in your quiet time, as you listen to the Spirit of God, he says, I want you to know the, the word more. I want you to put more, more, understand it more. I want you to memorize more scripture. God very well may be calling you to that, and that may be a part of your journey of growing more like Jesus. But the fact of the matter is this isn't about doing more. It's about cooperating with God learning to slow down, learning to pay attention to the work that God is doing in you. I was sitting with Tim Hogan, like I said, and we were talking about this, and, and he gets all excited, and I was all excited. And he started talking about the idea that, that we got to learn to tend to the garden of our soul, and that that's, that's kind of meticulous work, but you still got to do it. You got you to pay attention to what's going on in your heart, and you got to tend to that garden so that it can bear fruit. It was a beautiful picture for me walking out of that breakfast. So striving is more about tuning in and listening to the Holy Spirit, not working hard, not, not trying to do more. It's about making space for God in your life. When Melissa was up here on Christmas and she talked about this hearing God, you know what she said? She didn't use the word striving. She said, I made a decision that I want to learn to hear God in everything. 
At that moment that she made that decision, she started to, to read things about people who have learned to listen to God. She started to pray that prayer, God, help me to hear your voice. She started to pay attention. So in that moment, she began to strive to live like Jesus, who could hear the promptings of God. That's the picture I want you to walk away with when we say striving to live like Jesus. We don't want a works mentality at grace at all. So we are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. Why did we choose the words to live like Jesus? And the fact of the matter is the mission statement seems virtually impossible. Right? We are mosaics striving to live like Jesus. Good luck with that. Right? It feels that way. But it's not impossible because our mission statement is not we are a mosaic living like Jesus. We would be in trouble if that was our mission statement, and we would fail daily if that was our mission statement, because we know none of us actually live like Jesus every minute of every day and and every week. It's virtually impossible. So why would we make that our mission statement? Because embedded in the mission statement is not that we live like Jesus, but we strive to live like Jesus. There is a picture of a journey embedded in our mission statement. We don't arrive This is the picture of the journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. What we desire for you as the leadership of grace, we desire that you would be on a journey of transformation. One of our values is life change, that over the course of time, we would actually be able to see a difference in how you respond to your spouse, how you respond to your kids, how you respond to your boss, how you, how you respond to the world, how, how you become more and more Christ-like in the way you pray and in the way you move, that we would see that. So we, we desire to see transformation. We desire that you grow in your understanding of your own unique gifts, that how do you fit into that mosaic? What is it that makes you unique? What's your unique piece that fits into that that picture. We desire that you understand God's unfailing love more and more and more, and that understanding of his love is what inspires you and, 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 and leads you forward. We desire that you strive, or as Bryce said last week when he, he unpacked the word strive, he, just, he said striving is passionately pursuing, and I love that. We, we desire that you passionately pursue having this unbroken connection with the Father that unleashes the power of God in your life. It was a beautiful picture of what it means to strive to live like Jesus. So I want you to, you were wondering if we were ever going to get to this, I want you to grab your Bibles and I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. There's a couple things, if you're one person that writes in your Bible, there's a couple things I want you to circle or uh, put an asterisk by or however. If you don't, maybe this is what you want to write in your bulletin, but 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. And the reason I want to go there is because I want you to see that this idea of, of striving to live like Jesus is also very biblical. Just like the mosaic is biblical, striving to live like Jesus is absolutely biblical. So 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18, verse 16 says this. It says, it says whenever anyone, oh, I'll read the whole thing, I'm sorry. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. I love that. The veil is taken away, kind of curtains language. So if you think about the study we're about to do. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Verse 16 says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, it's the word anyone that I would circle or put an asterisk by or write it in your bulletin. The word says, whenever anyone comes to the Lord, so this includes who? Anyone. 
This is not an an exclusive sort of thing. This is an all-inclusive. When you put your dependency on God, when we sing, I surrender, I surrender, and you say, Lord, I surrender, and you come to to God and you say, God, I want you to do something in my life, then the rest of this verse applies to you. When anyone comes to the Lord, it says in verse 17 that you have freedom, which is a powerful thing. The Spirit moves in your life and you have freedom. And then look at verse 18. It says, and it says you are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. His image, the image of God. What did Jesus say? He said, I came to show you my life so that you would see me, and when you see me, you would see my Father in heaven. So Jesus is this this earthly representation of our Heavenly Father. So if we become more and more like Jesus, then we become more and more like God. We don't become God. That would be blasphemy for me to say that. We become more like God, and people see Jesus in us. They see the image of God. So you're being transformed more and more and more into the image of of God. I love the way it says, because it doesn't say, that, so if you look at that, that, that second part of 17, it says, you are being, that's the other thing I would circle or asterisk. It doesn't say that you might be, it doesn't say that you were, this isn't something that happens, you met Jesus and, and said yes to Jesus, and boom, you were transformed. It's an ongoing process, it's present tense. You are being, everyone is being transformed. When you said yes to Jesus, the process began. And honestly, the question is, are you cooperating with that process that God is doing in your life of becoming more and more like Jesus? That's the striving part, when we cooperate with what the Spirit's up to. I wanted to bring just two more translations of the exact same part of of verse 17 there. So in the New Living Translation, it says, And the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him. The spirit of God in our lives moving makes us more and more like Jesus. International Standard says, Becoming more like him with ever-increasing glory by the Lord's spirit. This is our purpose in life. This is why you exist. We were created to be image bearers. What does it mean to be image bearers? It means to reflect the image of God. This is why God made you. He made you to reflect who he is. And what this is saying is when you cooperate with Jesus, when you strive to live like Jesus, when you pay attention to what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life, you become more and more like Jesus and you reflect his glory. And we've talked about this a few times, but to, to, to reflect the glory of God is to make God known to others more and more and more. This is a journey of transformation. Sometimes you'd hear the word sanctification. We're justified when we say yes to Jesus and we get to go to heaven. From that moment on, we are being sanctified, changed into the image of his son. And that's really good news, isn't it? Amen. Now that's a good thing to say amen to. So our hearts have to become more like Jesus. The very nature of our hearts have to be more like Jesus. We need to be broken for the things that God are broken for. We need to be broken for the people who are hurting. We have to be, be mindful of, of those around us who are in need the way God is mindful of. And we think about it, our minds need to be more like Jesus. We need to learn to think the way Jesus thought. We need, so there's scriptures that say, take every thought captive. And for you to even ask a question, you know, is, is that the way Jesus would think about this? How would Jesus think about this? And so we, so we take our thoughts captive and, and allow the Holy Spirit to change our minds. And our hands, the very things that we do, our bodies, the, the work that we're in has to become more and more like Jesus. This is a total makeover of who we are. And it happens 
over time. It's a journey of transformation. So we are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. And here's what I want you to know. This journey of transformation, it cannot and it will not take place apart from community. It cannot happen apart from that. You need the body of Christ. You need the church around you for this to happen. That fact of the matter is we are hardwired. God made us to live in community. God himself exists in the Trinity, and the Trinity is community, and, and, and God exists in community, and so he says to us, the only way that you are going to be transformed in the image of my son is if you too live in community. Jesus, in his life, displayed this for us. He lived in community. He did life with, with other people. There is this picture of, of coming together. I love the word mosaic because it helps to reinforce to us that we never really can display the image of Christ. That picture is never going to come into focus until we come together and until we live in community with one another. This is one of the reasons why I'm excited about a church without curtains. I'm not sure how the study is going to go, but I think God's going to use it but I know God's going to use your small group. Regardless, if you're committed to coming together and if you're committed to having honest conversations for eight weeks and if you're committed to praying for one another, if you're committed to being in community, I will guarantee you absolutely God is going to do something. And so it gives us a chance as a church to kind of get back to some of our, our roots of what made this church strong over the, the decades past. And that was that we had small group ministry. It was, it was a major part of what we did. So Meg and I started coming here 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago, and literally within the first few weeks, it was made absolutely clear to us that if you want all that this church has to offer to you, you need to be a part of a small group. That's what was said week after week. And so within just a few weeks, we were in a small group, and the couples that were in that small group played an, an important role in our journey of figuring out what it means to walk with Jesus, what it means to have faith, what it means to, to live out your faith. It was an, an, an important and integral part of us figuring out how to even find community within grace. That small group experience was a very profound part of us growing, of us being transformed a little bit more into the image of Christ. You cannot do this on your own. You need to be in a small group. You need to be with other people who are helping you along the way. So we're doing this eight-week study called The Church Without Curtains that Meg and I wrote that I'm excited about. But the main desire is to reestablish this framework that small groups are central to what we do as a church. And so I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to sign up for a small group, but I'm going to ask you to do it right now. So in your bulletin is a little green sheet. It looks like this. If you are not in a, in a small group, I would like you to have this in your hand so you can get it out right now. And if you're not in a small group, and, and if you are in a small group and you have one of these in your hand and there's somebody in your, in your row that isn't part of a small group, I would like you to hold this over your head in, in the air, and I'm not going to make you join a small group, but what I want to see is who in this room is not currently in a small group, not in a church without curtains group, and here's what I'd like from the other people, so there should be somebody out there that's brave, enough. there you go, thank you sir, so you're going to hold this up, and what I want those of you who are in a small group to do is look around and see who's holding up a card, and I don't believe you, there's only two people not in a small group, that's virtually impossible, <laughs> don't be shy, we're not going to make you do anything, there's no guilt here, but when you look around, look in your section, these are the people you do church with every Sunday, maybe you'd like to invite them to be a part of your small group. 
that would be great. But what we want you to do, if you still have a card, the ushers have some there. Hold it up for just a minute, just so everybody can see. And if you don't have a card yet, maybe you just want to hold up your hand so people know who's in a small group. And then we're going to take a minute right now as Ron plays something amazing and awesome on the piano. Uh, we're going to ask you to fill this out. And we're going to ask you to pass it to the outside row, and we're going to pick them up. We currently have about 611 people signed up for small groups, and the goal, the desire, is that we would have 1,000 people, which is really the critical mass of all of our adult population. Now, here's the deal. If you fill this out, we're going to follow up with you. So if you're filling out just because you feel guilty and Doug's saying it, but you're really not going to answer our emails or our phone calls, please don't fill it out, because it's a lot of work calling people. And I don't want you to feel guilty. Maybe this is not the right season for you, but I believe God wants you to be a part of a small group. So fill this out and pass it to the outside of the rows and we will get you committed and we will get you into a small group. So does that make sense? So hopefully you guys that are in small groups were looking around and you saw some people who weren't. Are you, are you reminding me about communion? I haven't forgot. I got a script here. I'm following a script. How so funny. All right. So that's the cards and they're going to pass those out. I love the fact that today is communion. We talked about it just a little while ago. But it's a great chance for us to remember. To remember what Jesus did for us. To remember that everything I've talked about really comes back to Jesus. You know, we sing that song, Cornerstone, and it's all about you, and it's the truth. We, we really can't do this apart from Jesus. And so this is what communion is. It's an awesome sacrament that is just a time for us to remember to remember the roots of our faith, to remember who we are, to remember what Christ has done in us. And the scriptures say that whenever you come to the table, you ought to examine your heart. That if there's unforgiveness in your heart, that you ought to let go of that and, and give it back to Christ. If there's bitterness, if there's anger, if there's a sin in your life, and it says to come in a way that, that you can receive all that God has for you. So I'm going to ask the, the ushers that are going to be handing out the community to come on down, and I'm going to pray for it, and we're going to pass it out. And what I'd like you to do is hold on to the elements as we worship together, and then uh, I'll come up and we'll partake together. But let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this amazing sacrament. This is one of my favorite moments in church, month after month. I love this beautiful picture of what you put together, rooted in history, but rooted in the very very basic truth of our faith that your body was broken and that your blood was shed so that we could have the Holy Spirit in us helping us to be who you've called us to be. So Lord, as we take the communion elements, hold them, Lord, just stir in our hearts. Show us the things we need to let go of. Show us the things we need to hold on to.